In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Amen. Christ is in our midst. Thank you. Thank God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Do you know that verse? Have you heard that one? I have it memorized. I learned it when I, I think before I could even say a full sentence, probably, when I was a little kid. And that's today's gospel reading. It's from the gospel according to St. John. And, of course, it's an important passage because God's love is everything. St. Paul says that in Him we live and move and have our being. And we say that just not, uh, not merely on a bio, in a biological way, not merely in a biological sense. We would say that the air that we breathe is only really an indication of the true life that God gives. God is the sustainer. Air, water, everything else. Incidental to the fact that God actually can give life, sustain, when, however, whoever He will. We trust in Him. And His love is wonderful. And we spend the entire the entirety of our Christian life, hopefully, trying to come to some understanding of what God's love is. But as you know, you can't really wrap your head around it because love isn't a thing, love is a person. God Himself is love. And so we spend this side of eternity, trying to determine whether or not we want to spend all of eternity entering into that love of God. Is that what we desire? To be transfigured. To be conformed to the likeness of God. From age to age, forever and ever, there is no way of exhausting that Desire that the man has to enter into union with God. And there's no way to wrap our head around God's desire for union with us. We struggle to understand the love of God. And I want to share a little story with you that I've shared it with the catechumens, but I don't think I've shared it with all of you in a homily before. It carries an important lesson. It's from the sayings of the Desert Fathers. Once upon a time, there was a monk who was struggling in sin. One mistake after another. And he would hear that God forgives him, but he was having a hard time believing At what point is God just going to give up on me? Is it just me tricking myself into thinking I'm okay until I sin again? 
Is the grace of God real? He went to his elder, and his elder heard his complaint, his, his tale of woe. How can God have mercy on me? How is it possible? And the elder said to the man something interesting. When you tear your garment, you get a tear in your garment that you wear, what do you do with it? He says, well, I sew it up. I mend it. Fix it. And he goes, if you, if you care about your garment enough to sew it up when it has a tear in it, how much more would God care to mend you when you have a tear? And the man went away edified. But when I think about that story, I also think that about the age in which we live and our relationship with the things in our life and therefore, by extension, our perception of how God relates to us. We serve as the priests, the stewards of God's creation. And what do we do when we have a tear in our garment nowadays? Most often, throw it away and get a new one. A lot of times, although I do, I just discovered yesterday evening a little hole in my cassock and I thought, well, I better, I need to sew that thing. But we throw it away. And I think in a deep way, we, we question whether or not people like us like, are like a cheap garment that could be easily discarded. If I can so easily discard, I'm supposed to be like the representative of God on earth. And when I have something I don't like, I throw it away. I'm just one among many sinners. How easy would it be for God just to throw me away? I think our relationship with the world has come to inform our perception of God's relationship to us. This isn't a homily on ecology or anything like that, but on, just on the way that we view the world, the way that we treat things, and how that relates to our perception of God. But God loves you enough to, to heal you, to mend you, to fix you. That's why He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, should not be discarded, but have everlasting life. And I'd like to remind too that God didn't come down to fix you either, but to heal you. And when you're struggling to come to terms with the love of God and you understand things imperfectly. I'd like to remind you that those who are struggling with the truth are oftentimes those who are very near to it, actually. Think about 
Jacob wrestling with the angel. Jacob was wrestling with an like the, with the angel like we wrestle with truth. And sometimes, just like it would be easier to be discarded, sometimes we would rather get up and just walk away from the wrestling match rather than be like Jacob and say, I will not go until you bless me. I'm not going to give up wrestling with the truth. Because if you're struggling with the truth, it's because you're near to it. Oftentimes it's because you're coming right in direct contact with it and it comes as an incredible threat. And you can say, I will not give up. I will not stop wrestling. I will not leave until you bless me. We would like to use the struggle as an excuse to walk away and give up. That's the easy way out. But sin is always the easy way out. And sin has become increasingly easier. I was thinking during the orthros this morning. Like to get down to the abyss of hell, you used to have to jump off a cliff into a deep, dark pit. And it was really scary. And, and then we built, seems like nowadays we... Not only have we built stairwells down there, but we have elevators that go down straight down to hell. And pretty soon we're going to have trams that just take us right there. It's easy to come on. It's easy. No problem. It's easy to get to hell. Everyone's doing it. Oh. Just because, yeah. I heard someone say something really beautiful too. I want to talk about how our relationship with the love of God also extends to our perception of other people. Someone said, uh, is it an act of violence to tackle someone who's about to walk off of a cliff? (laughs) Well, no, not really. I mean, to save them, to save them from the potential harm that could come to them. But, What if they were taking an escalator down? Then what? I don't know. But we should still speak the truth. So God's truth is for you, but it also extends to those around you. And I want to challenge you today, especially to challenge your presuppositions. We understand that we need salvation because we know that we're not perfect. We are the ones, each and every one of us, for whom Christ died on the cross. And when you come to the realization of your own perfection and your inability to save yourself and God's unique and personal love for you, then you accept it. And you have a personal transformation. I am the one for whom Christ died. I have the freedom to separate myself from Him, but He's also given me the freedom to unite myself with Him. And I exercise that freedom. But there's a danger that comes from presuming that you're one among the saved. When you presume that you're one among the saved, not questioning God's ability to save, but I am saved you can develop a false sense of confidence that leads to the 
presumption of your own salvation, your own position as better than others. And I see this in a lot of people who think, especially I'm orthodox. I'm orthodox. See, I found the true church and therefore I can trash other people. I can accuse them. And then I can use the excuse that I'm not perfect. And that's not okay. I see it happening a lot on the internet. You cannot treat another person as if they are responsible for sending Christ to the cross. You can only take responsibility yourself for your own sin. One of the definitions I like to use for sin is, sin is that which is uniquely my own. We were created to hold everything in common in this life. Everything. And so there is nothing that I have that is uniquely my own other than my self-willed decision that separates me from God and others. And remember, I need the salvation of Christ because I have sinned. Therefore, He died on the cross on account of my sin. So it's not helpful for me to go around and presume my own salvation while outrightly presuming that others are wrong. And I think that we do that a lot in our daily life. We presume that others are screwed up, messed up, and broken. But we presume that we are forgiven. And we fail to see every other person as one for whom Christ died on the cross. Every life is worth saving. I want to challenge you this week to encounter everyone in this way. To see each person as one for whom Christ died on the cross. When I was in healthcare, I had my little subversive ways of kind of inserting my, my Christian faith into what we were doing. I couldn't outrightly share my faith. But in healthcare, I worked for the, the blood center. People were coming in, donating their blood in order to help other people. So I would ask when I was training new employees, why do we do what we do? Why do we do what we do? And our mission was to save lives, saving lives. The research, innovation, and so on. But saving lives. And then I would ask them, why save lives? Why? Just because saving lives is a great thing to do? What lives? Whose lives? Why save lives? Because people are important. Because people are valuable. Their lives are worth saving. And when one person comes in and donates blood, they're literally giving from their own life. This isn't a sales pitch for blood donation either. But they are literally, it is an, it's, an, it's a selfless act. They're giving from what they have in an intrusive procedure, you know, in order to give life to another person. And you know what? They don't know the name of the other person. 
they're making a statement that whoever receives that donation is worth saving, that their life is worth living. Because people are important. So I would say, see, that's why. That's why we do this. Not just to save lives. But because everyone, regardless who, of who they are, is worth saving. And then, I would say, when someone walks in that door and you greet them, you treat them like someone whose life is worth saving whose life has that much value. They could be the one receiving that donation that the person before them gave. You never know. People are important. And their lives are worth saving. Why? We hear in the End of the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We cannot be forgiven if we will not forgive. And we cannot be saved if we do not long for the salvation and see the value of the other person for whom Christ died on the cross. Every life is worth saving. Now as Christians, we don't have the ability to determine whether or not a person will believe in Christ. But we do have the responsibility of, one, asking whether or not we believe in Him, and then whether or not we treat other people as if we believe that we are saved, and therefore they're worthy of saving as well. Because to express the value, the desire to be saved is also to express the desire that all would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Every word that we speak can be one. that bears witness in some way to this reality, this blessed presupposition that we hold as Christians. Every action can, but we have to struggle with the truth. We have to struggle to overcome our passions. We have to desire the blessing more than we Give in to the defeat. We have to long to be with God and to be loved by Him. So much so that we have to see others receive His love as well. If your children don't know this verse, John 3.16, then teach it to them this week. Let's have them memorize it this week. And let's live as those who are questioning our worldly presuppositions, our judgments of other people. And let us live as those who have this as our most blessed presupposition. When we look in the mirror, 
when we stand before God in prayer, when we interact with our families and encounter others this week, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God sent his Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Amen.